This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We've concluded our series of studies in the Lord's Prayer and resume our studies in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Today we are in chapter 6, verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We turn our attention to it now, and we ask for your help, for your grace, for the illumination that only your Spirit can give. Lord, we know your word is not received by the natural, the fallen man. It requires the work of your Spirit. It requires the light of your Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that he would teach us and guide us by your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Christians, we are to be distinct from, we are to be separate from the surrounding culture. In fact, we are to be truly the most countercultural people who have ever lived. Our culture as Christians, as the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, is to be a culture that truly is out of this world. Because it is a culture of Christ. It is a culture that comes from the new birth. It is the culture uh, that comes out of our being a new creation in Christ and therefore something distinct and different in the world. That culture is not something artificial, something that we put on, but rather it is something that grows from within, that grows out of the heart, out of who we are as changed people in Christ, changed, made alive by the Holy Spirit, and therefore it is a culture that is, is greatly at odds with our own fallen, sinful natures, and of course with the world around us. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a picture of what that Christian counterculture is to look like. As we've been studying through chapter 5 and and now chapter 6, we've seen that as the Beatitudes teach us, we are fundamentally different from what we were and what, what the world still is in terms of our character. We're different now in regard to God's law, that there is now a heart allegiance to God's law, a desire to live by God's word 
and not merely uh, put on a pretense or look for loopholes. We are, as chapter 5 informs us, different in how we treat other people. Chapter 6, we've seen that we are different uh, from the hypocrisy of the merely religious, that our service is service to God. It is not service to gain the approval of other people, but it is service to God from the heart. And as we've been studying, what Jesus talked about, our, our giving, our praying, our fasting to be seen by the Lord, and usually only by the Lord, uh, he elaborates on this whole subject of prayer uh, in what we know as the Lord's Prayer, uh, perhaps better name the disciples' prayer because it was the prayer he taught his disciples. Uh, and we've been studying that for the last number of weeks. But we resume, having studied uh, verses 16 through 18 on fasting earlier, now with verses 19 through 24. And in the second half of chapter 6, whereas in the first half Jesus taught us that we are to be different from the hypocrisy of the merely religious, in the second half of chapter 6, uh, Jesus teaches that we are to be different from the materialist, from the secularist who lives as if this world is all there is. Now, in the first half of chapter 6, Jesus had in mind primarily the Pharisees who love to be seen by men, practice their religion to gain the approval of other people. Well, here Jesus seems to have perhaps primarily in mind, although the Bible says the Pharisees themselves were lovers of money, so it includes them, but the materialist, the person who lives for this world, who, who exists as if this world is all there is and all there will ever be. And so he warns us against materialism, of living for the things and pleasures of this world and letting that define our lives, define who we are. Well, as we look today at verses 19 through 24, Jesus sets before us three sets of choices that we have to make as his followers in the world. Three sets of choices. First of all, the choice between two treasures or what do we value? choice of two treasures. What do we value? Look at verses 19 and 20 and 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Two treasures. What do we value? Well, first of all, Jesus speaks about this in terms of a matter of a good investment. Now, we all want a good investment. We all want to get a good return on money that we invest or effort that we invest. Well, Jesus here is talking about what we value in terms of a good investment. He speaks, first of all, about treasures on earth. And by the way, that word treasures in, in Greek occurs more than it does in English where the ESV says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Uh, literally, it might be something like, do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. But and in verse 20, treasure up for yourself treasures in heaven. The same uh, word, which, by the way, is the word our, our word thesaurus comes from. A thesaurus being a treasury of synonyms uh, for various words. Uh, but that's the word that's translated here, uh, treasure. Do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, First, it might help to clarify what Jesus is, is not speaking against. Jesus is not speaking here against private property, against our owning private 
property, the whole scriptures, uh, makes it clear that, that that's a perfectly legitimate thing. The Eighth Commandment, in fact, speaks with the idea of private ownership of property in mind, that we should not steal it from what belongs to another person. And, and various teaching in Scripture makes it plain that that's not what Jesus is speaking against here. Certainly not speaking against saving up for the future, against investing wisely here on the earth. Uh, scripture speaks to that. One example is how it commends the ant in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 and following, go to the ant and consider her ways, her, her diligence, including how she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food and harvest, always with an eye toward laying up uh, store for the future. Jesus isn't prohibiting the enjoyment of good things here when he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In fact, 1 Timothy 6, uh, which is a, a, another significant passage dealing with Money and wealth, as, as from a Christian point of view, um, says that Jesus, uh, rich, or the Lord richly provides us with everything that we have to enjoy, uh, a blessing from God and something to be enjoyed. So Jesus is not prohibiting any of those things, but he does point out the problem with our worldly stuff. And a couple of words, a couple of ideas here. One is the problem of decay, where moth and rust destroy. A moth, of course, we're all familiar with, uh, gets in, and the idea perhaps of rich garments here, who, who hasn't pulled out a sweater or a coat, found a little hole in it, in a conspicuous place, naturally, where it's been eaten through. Uh, or rust, uh, literally a word that has to do with eating or food, and is used for that in other places, but the idea of of consumption. Now, rust obviously corrodes, consumes metal, but the idea is a little broader than that, of, of the gradual decay of everything that we have, everything that we value. Not only decay, but loss, where thieves break in, literally dig through. Uh, homes in Palestine, often made of mud, brick, uh, it would be easy for a thief with a sharp tool to dig through. And come in. We don't usually see that today, but I remember reading not too long ago about a thief in the area who made his way into houses, not by forcing the door or finding an open window, but by literally digging through the wall of the house. Well, that's the word here, where thieves break in, where they dig through and steal. Jesus is pointing out the fundamental problem with storing up our treasures here on earth. They eventually decay. Uh, inflation is always at work against the money that you have set up, the investments that you have made, and ultimately you didn't bring anything with you and you can't take anything out with you when you go. The problem is the problem of decay, the ultimate problem of loss. As opposed to, Jesus says, to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. The advantage in, in, in investing in heaven is that it can't be lost. Uh, Peter writes of an inheritance imperishable, incorruptible, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. How do we store up this treasure? How do we invest in heaven? Well, again, 1 Timothy uh, 6 tells us that it is we store up treasures in heaven through the good works that we do, the kingdom works that we do. Now, we want to be careful. We're not talking about the Roman Catholic idea of some treasury of merit. 
It's not that this in any way makes us more acceptable to God. However, as we serve Christ, as we do good kingdom works in his name, we are storing up treasure in heaven. We are adding to reward in heaven, given graciously, not earned, and yet greater blessing, greater joy, storing up for ourselves wealth in heaven, treasures in heaven, where inflation's not at work, where moths don't eat it up, where rust doesn't corrode it away. And so Jesus speaks, first of all, about the mere sense of making a good investment to concentrate on storing up an inheritance that cannot fade, that cannot perish, that cannot spoil. Or, uh, as to put it in Jim Elliott's immortal words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's essentially a paraphrase of what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus calls us to make a better investment in the kingdom, service to Christ, to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. However, as we've seen through our studies on the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly here in chapter 6, the emphasis is not so much on the worldly activity as it is what? Verse 21 is the clue. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this fits right in line with what Jesus is saying. We pray out of love for the Lord from the heart. We give out of desire to serve Christ and to please Him. We fast out of love for the Lord and a desire to see His will done in this world. Well, in this whole matter of what we, how we invest, it really doesn't have so much to do with how much stuff you have, how much money you have in this world. The real matter is the heart. Someone can have very little of the world's goods and the world's wealth and yet be in complete violation of Jesus' teaching because what little they have, their heart's fixed on it and they're obsessed with it and they're consumed with it and they're living for it. You see, ultimately, it's not a matter of how much you have or don't have in the world. It's what you treasure in your heart because Jesus says where your treasure is, where that thing is that you really value the most That's where your heart will be. That's where your devotion will lie. That's where your affections will be found. You see, it's possible. And God gives people grace to have a great deal in this world. And yet their treasure really is in heaven. And that's where their heart is as well. And they use what God has given for kingdom purposes, to further the kingdom of Christ, to honor Christ, because they love Jesus and they love those who serve Jesus. That's a good thing. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about here. But the real point is, however much or little we have, what do you value most? What you have in this world or what you have in heaven and what awaits you in heaven? What do you live for? Because you see, as Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Are your greatest desires to accumulate stuff here on the earth? You get a nod toward heaven, sure. But are you really living for what's here on earth? Or are you really treasuring and looking forward to and living for what lies ahead of us in glory? So it's a matter of investment. It's a matter of devotion. It's a matter of the heart. Good investment, good devotion, proper devotion. So that's the first choice that Jesus gives us here. A choice of two treasures, choice of two Uh, places where we place our devotion or what we value. The second choice he gives us is that between two visions. Or what do we see? Two visions. 22, 23, Jesus uses the metaphor, the image of a lamp in a room. And he said, the eye is like that lamp 
picturing the body as being like a house or a room. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole room, whole body will be full of darkness. If you've got a lamp that's putting out light, the room is full of light. Brightly lit, easy to see. If the lamp is not doing so well, if it's sputtering, if it's about to go out, if it's gone out, the room is in darkness. Well, Jesus says that the way we see is like that, and he's not speaking here of literal vision. Remember, Jesus said to those who would hear him, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, those who have eyes to see, not just physically perceive, but to see the spiritual truths he was talking about, let them see. Well, that's what he's speaking about here. The good eye, if your eye is healthy, literally good, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, the good eye, the single eye is the, is the word. King James, if your eye is single, if you see with singleness of purpose, undivided loyalty, with clarity, then your whole life, your whole way of seeing, your whole vision is illuminated. But if you're blind, you don't get it. You don't see. So Jesus is talking here about two ways of seeing. Those who are able to perceive spiritual reality, truth, those who are not. Fundamentally, it's not our choice to make. It's God's grace whether we see the reality of his kingdom or not. However, even as his people... We sometimes fall prey to perhaps temporary blindness. We fail to see things as they really are. And this ties in with what he's just talked about with the two treasures. Do you see the reality of his kingdom being the ultimate thing, the ultimate reality, the ultimate concern? Or are you blinded by the the glitter, the tinsel of this world to where you fall prey to thinking that this world is all there is, that this world is what you must live for, that you fail to see the reality of Christ's rule over this world, the reality of his kingdom that is beyond this world, or the reality of hell that is beyond this world. We can become blinded, and the lost certainly are, by the false god of materialism. Uh, then we're plunged into darkness. And Jesus says, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The point is that if what you think you see is actually not real, how great is that darkness? There is no greater blindness than the person who is blind and yet says, I can see. You may recall, Jesus spoke to this in John chapter 9 after he'd healed this man born blind. And he speaks to the Pharisees. Jesus said to them when they said, are we also blind? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, the Pharisees had no sense of blindness. They thought they could see. Which only hardened them in their blindness. Jesus says, if the light in you, the light you claim to have is actually darkness. How great is the darkness. Dear friends, two ways of seeing the light that we have in the Word of God, the light that is given us by the Spirit of God, or to be blinded by the God of materialism, to see this world as being the ultimate object, the ultimate goal. 
So two treasures, two visions, what do we see? The third choice that Jesus presents us is two masters, or whom do we serve? Speaks here of loving and hating. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you may recognize a Hebrew idiom here of loving and hating. Basically, it means what is to be preferred, which is the highest priority. Just remember, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, you know, the Bible says to honor our parents, to love one another. Well, what's Jesus saying? Not that we literally hate and despise and hold in contempt our parents and our brothers and sisters, even our own lives. But he's saying by comparison, he must be the priority. He precedes our devotion to father or mother or family. He comes before. And so Jesus is saying here, who is the master? Hating the one, loving the other. Devoted to the one, despising the other. Well... Jesus makes it quite plain here that we have a choice to make in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Some of you who know me know that I like to say, especially when I'm faced with the dessert table down here on first Sunday lunch, why be either or when you can be both and? There are a lot of times you can be both and where you're not really forced to make a choice. This is not one of those times. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money, or mammon, literally, a word that has to do with money, wealth. It almost personifies it, choosing between serving God or serving our stuff. And this really gets to the point of it. You're going to serve one or the other. You think you own your stuff. Be careful that your stuff doesn't own you. You're serving either God or you're serving your possessions. John Stott, as as usual, very insightful here. He says, some people disagree with this saying of Jesus. They refuse to be confronted with such a stark and outright choice and see no necessity for it. They blandly assure us it's perfectly possible to serve two masters simultaneously, for they manage it very nicely themselves. Several possible arrangements and adjustments appeal to them. Either they serve God on Sundays and mammon on weekdays, or God with their lips and mammon with their hearts, or God in appearance and mammon in reality, or God with half their being and mammon with the other half. Of course, the problem with this is if you serve mammon at all, you're not serving God. Jesus will not allow both. God says, I will not share my glory with another. You cannot serve both because God will not have both. The moment you begin in any measure to bow to your stuff, your wealth, your money, your possessions... You're serving it, not the one true and living God. And so this passage forces us, brothers and sisters in Christ, to answer three questions. In which world am I primarily investing and therefore do I love? This world or the world to come in Christ? Is my personal vision entranced with this world or the next? Are you keeping your eye fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or are you looking around at the baubles and trinkets of the world? 
And third, which master do I really serve? Because you're serving one or the other. You're either living for Christ or you're living for this world, but you cannot live for both. And I'll tell you what, we're all guilty here. We all need to go before the Lord Jesus and get on our knees and repent of our idolatry, of bowing to our things, of being more concerned with providing for ourselves than we are obeying Christ and honoring him and following him and serving him. But we praise God that he gives grace, that he forgives us for that idolatry. And he gives us grace to begin to make the right choices in each of these three areas. Jonathan Edwards, a great uh, preacher, theologian, philosopher, and I think he would acknowledge that order, uh, in uh, colonial America as a 19-year-old made a number of resolutions, and he added to them later on as he went along, but he wrote a considerable number of them at the age of 19 uh, that are in his, published in his works. Uh, my favorite, perhaps, is the 17th one, 17th resolution, resolved Uh, to live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to the end of my life. Uh, But the 22nd is also a good one. It has to do with uh, relevant to the passage before us. And his 22nd resolution was resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of to obtain for myself as much happiness. You see, he wasn't against being happy. He wasn't against joy. But the focus was not this world, but the next. To obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, vehemence, yea, violence. And it might be worthwhile clarifying that. It doesn't mean violence toward other human beings, but violence toward his own sinful nature. I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. You see, Edwards resolved to live with all his might for the world to come. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we do acknowledge that it is so easy for us to begin uh, treasuring what we have here on earth above your kingdom. So easy for us, for our vision of the ultimate realities to become fuzzy and to begin to focus instead on the ephemeral and passing things of this world. It is easy, Father, to begin to serve the master of our stuff rather than to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, forgive us. We recognize that only the shed blood of Christ can accomplish that for such grievous idolatry and misguided behavior, sin against you. But Lord, we pray for your grace in us that we truly would treasure, true treasure, that we would see clearly the ultimate realities of your kingdom. And, Lord, that we would serve God, not money. Lord, may we be truly countercultural in these ways and so bring glory to you and joy to ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.